you have a copy of God's Word, I'll ask you to open it up to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We are in the middle of a series entitled, When You Pray. When You Pray. We are looking at the Lord's instruction on prayer. And when we do this, we've covered already Matthew chapter 6. We began in verse... But when thou prayest, we talked about the pitfalls of prayer in verses 5 through 8. We basically talked about how not to pray. Then last Sunday, we talked about a prayer of thanksgiving because it was the Sunday before Thanksgiving. And we talked about our food being made edible by the promise, by faith, and by prayer. And now we are going to go back to our original text and look at verse 9. And we're going to deal with what is commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is often repeated. It's often quoted. Most of us have it memorized. We were taught it as children. But when we look at this, it's, it's a way of praying. And I want us to spend our, the remainder of this series on Sunday mornings looking at each of the verses in what we commonly refer to as the Lord's Prayer. So this morning, for all of our time and and purposes, we're going to look at verse 9. I'm sorry. Let's read verses 9 through 13, and we'll spend our time in verse 9. You all know this prayer. After this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, I want us to go back and spend our time this morning in verse 9, and I've titled this message, if we think about praying, relationship. Our prayers must start with a focus on our relationship with God. You can't pray to a God you do not know. I had a good friend, he's passed away now, but he said when he was in Vietnam that he was had an atheist in his unit. And he said one night in Vietnam, he said we were in a firefight, we were being bombed, we were being shot at, and the next morning the atheist in our group said, now, I don't believe in God, but if there was one last night, I was praying to him. God's not sitting up there in heaven wondering if somebody by accident will call on his name. Our God has a name. Our God knows his people. And prayer, real prayer, the prayer that Jesus taught about is a prayer driven by a relationship with God. And without this relationship, there will be no true prayer. It's an impossibility. Let's look at verse 9 again. I'll read it, and I've got three thoughts I want to pull out of verse 9. Jesus said, well, four thoughts. I'll deal with this first phrase here. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The first thing I want to deal with is the pattern of prayer. Look what he said in verse 9. After this manner, therefore, pray ye. This is a pattern. Some people will repeat this. And there's nothing wrong with repeating it, but simply repeating this prayer is not praying. 
I know people who will, when they get scared, will, will start quoting Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. There's nothing wrong with quoting Scripture. The Bible tells us to quote Scripture. It tells us to hide the Word of God in our heart, to store it away in our memory, to call upon it, to lean upon it. And the best way to call upon the Lord and to, to know the Word of God is to commit it to your memory. But Jesus didn't say, when you quote Scripture, quote this Scripture. This scripture can be quoted just like you can quote any other passage of scripture. But Jesus said, when ye pray, he's telling us how to pray. He's given us an outline for prayer, if you will. He's laying out a pattern for how we can approach God properly. And I would say there's no one better to teach us how to talk to God than God himself. This is Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, telling us how to contact God the Father, the first person of the Trinity. Jesus Christ is called our mediator in heaven. He's our go-between, between us and God. Who better to tell us how to talk to God than Christ himself? Is there anybody else that we ought to go to? Is there some preacher, some prophet, some priest that we should go to and learn more how to communicate with God than God himself? And the very person of our God, Jesus Christ, whose responsibility is to intercede for us. Matter of fact, if you say I'm not going to pray in my own language, I'm just going to repeat this prayer. I'll take you to verse 7 that we looked at a couple weeks ago. Jesus said, but when you pray, use not vain repetition as the heathens do, for they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. Vain repetition is condemned. Praying written prayers and repeating them over and over and over, Jesus said, you shouldn't do this. We should pray to God in our own language. We should pray to God with our own dialect. We shouldn't have to pray in some foreign language. We shouldn't have to pray with a bunch of unnatural words. God hears us in our own language. Me with my southern draw and all. My mispronounced words, he hears them. He longs to hear them. This is why I refuse to ever use the sinner's prayer when someone wants to be saved. There's no need in telling someone to repeat after me. If God's convicted you of sin and that Jesus Christ is your Savior, you ought to be able to articulate that in your own language. After this manner, pray. I might tell you, ask God to, to forgive you. Confess your faith to Christ. But repeating after someone is simply that. It's repeating. It's repeating. It's just simply restating. So the purpose of the what we call the Lord's Prayer, which would probably be more accurately translated the Disciples' Prayer, because Jesus is teaching those who are learning from Him how to pray, we should call it the Disciples' Prayer, and it should be an outline of how to pray. And our prayers should start with a relationship. So let's look at this introduction to prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You could start every prayer with this outline in mind. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Number one, let's talk about parentage. Our Father. Our Father. Jesus didn't say your Father. He said our Father. Our is an adjective defining a possession. That's our car in the parking lot. Did anybody think I was talking about your car? No, you said, well, he's talking about Harold and Missy's car, the little silver SUV. If I say it's our car in the parking lot, 
then listen to me, friend. You know I'm not talking about your car. You know I'm talking about the one that Missy and I have our name on the title. When we say our Father, there must be a possession with Christ that is true of us. When it's Jesus talking and he says, our father, sometimes someone will say, we will do this or we will do that. And if I'm not doing it, I'll say, what's this we business? You got a mouse in your pocket? Is there someone else? No. When Jesus says our father, the people he's talking about are those that are with him. He doesn't say everyone's father, even though God is the creator and sustainer of all things. Jesus is using the word our. And somebody will say, well, you're just making a lot out of one word. Listen, Jesus Christ's name is the word. When God names you the word, you have no problem with words. You say what you mean and you mean what you say. He says our father. Now let me caution you here. There, are, there is another father upon the earth. Jesus speaks of him. In John chapter 8, verse 41, let me read you what he said. Ye do the deeds of your father. This is Jesus talking. And they said unto him, we, were, we are not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. He's talking to the Jews. And the Jews say, God is our father. We have one father, God. Now I would say at this point in time, there's no more religious group on the earth than the Jews. They were the most religious group. They had true knowledge of God. They had His Word wrapped up in what we call the Old Testament. Listen to me, friend. These people could say truly they had one Father. It was God. But Jesus doesn't acknowledge that. Jesus tells them the exact opposite in verse 42. Jesus said unto them, If God were your Father, ye would love me, for I proceed forth and come from God. Neither came I of myself but he sent me. Jesus told these Jews, if God was your father, you'd love Jesus Christ because God sent Jesus Christ. Verse 42, why do you not understand my speech even because you cannot hear my words? There are people who don't believe the Bible, can't understand the Bible, think it's a book full of, of nonsense, of false sayings and false teachings written by false prophets. Jesus is describing those people right there. And he says, you don't understand my speech because you can't hear my words. He's describing those who don't have God as their father. He goes on to say in verse 44, ye are of your father the devil. Not, not Brother Harold's opinion, this is Jesus Christ talking. Ye are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Would anybody in here be as so bold to admit they are a liar? Where'd you learn to lie at? Your father, the devil, who was the author and beginner of lies. Sin entered the world through the serpent when he deceived Eve and Adam voluntarily followed her lead. And at that point in time, mankind died instantly. He died spiritually. He didn't die physically. Adam lived to be 918 years old. He lived for over nine more centuries. But during that time, he died spiritually. Instantly, that day, when he ate off that tree, 
Jesus Christ said, those that lie are of their father the devil. They don't know the truth. They don't see anything wrong with it. Mankind doesn't see anything wrong with lying. That's why he classifies lies. We got white lies. What's a white lie? Why does anybody, why do we need degrees of lies? All lies came from one place. There's only one person that lived that never lied. Jesus Christ. Not one lie. Not even a white one. Not even a little bitty one. Verse 45. Jesus says, because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. We tell people there is no other salvation in any other name given except Jesus Christ. And the world does not believe us. Why? Because they're of their father the devil. Verse 46. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And I say the truth. Why do you not believe me? Who could charge Jesus with one sin? No one. The witnesses, even at his trial to put him to death, the witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to line up and convict Jesus. Verse 47, this is important. He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because you're not of God. People who are of God hear God speak, and people who are of God, God hears them. That communication goes both ways. Do you realize here that no Jesus means no Father? And to know Jesus means to know the Father? And if you do not know Jesus, you do not know the Father. There's no other way around it. Friend, you can't say, you can't pray to a God that you don't know. Even though He knows who you are, He doesn't know you in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ makes us acceptable before God. He forgives our sins. And until we know Christ, our prayers are unanswered. They're unheeded. They're unlistened to. Jesus makes it very clear that there are those that the Father knows and He hears them and they hear Him and they love Jesus and they follow Him. Those that don't love Jesus and follow Jesus, God simply doesn't know. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 3. Verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open unto their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Now, don't you get this wrong? Well, if God hears the righteous and doesn't hear the evil, I'm going to start doing right and earn God's attention. Have you ever seen a child that was naughty? <laughs> it's the holidays. You had any in your home lately? You had any little brats running around? One, if they were yours, you'd grab them up by the ankles and wore them out. You ever had a kid like that? Do you ever see it when they wanted their cake or their cookies or whatever it was, and then all of a sudden they said, I'm going to start being good. That didn't change the fact that you broke the TV, hid the remote, and spilt your drink all over the carpet. How does a couple minutes of goodness justify all the evil? And so how foolish it is with you to say, I'm going to start being good so God can hear me. No, friend, the righteousness that God is looking for is the righteousness of Christ, which is given to believers by faith. We are justified even though we're guilty, even though I have sinned, even though I have lied, even though I'll probably lie again. I'm considered righteous by God, not by my own works that I've done, but by the righteousness of Christ on the cross when God treated Jesus like he should have treated Harold Smith. This righteousness now God credits to my account because Jesus paid it all. And when Christ paid it, God looks at me as righteous. 
And God hears me because Jesus died for me. And this is what I have in heaven. I go and say, God, I need help. (laughs) Why would I help you, Harold? You failed me yesterday. You failed me the day before. You'll fail me again today. Why should I help you, Harold? And what would I say? I'll try to do better today, Lord. You said you'd try to do better yesterday, Harold. Why would I help you? Oh, I've got a, I've got a leg up on you, though. Jesus Christ is there at the throne, and he says, Father, we will help him because he is mine. You gave him to me, and I died for him. And by faith he has received the pardon that I purchased on the cross. And we will help Harold, not on his own merits, not on his own righteousness, but on the righteousness that I purchased. And therefore God the Father listens to my prayers, not because I've been a good person, not because I've tried to do right and make up for wrong. He listens to me because of Christ. He cannot deny his own. Now... If you can say this with me, he's our father because I believe in Christ. I've repented of my sins. I've been filled with the spirit of God and God now calls me his son. I'm no longer the child of the devil. I'm the child of the Lord by faith in Christ. Here's what you have when you say our father in your prayer. When you call God father, here's what you're invoking from God. Number one, compassion. God loves his children. He loves his children. I love my children. I love all the kids in the church. I like talking to them. I like asking them how they're doing. I like asking them where their husband and wife is, even though they're 10 or 12 and have not even a boyfriend or a girlfriend. I like kidding with the kids. There are two kids that I love more than any kid in this room. And they're not kids anymore. They're 22 and 25. They're my kids because I am their father. I've got a deeper bond and compassion with them than I'll ever have with any others. If you can call God your father, you have his compassion. He's driven by love. Number two, you have his concern. Oh, I'm God's son, but I don't think he cares about me. I don't think he's concerned with what I'm doing. Oh, yes, if he's your father, he's concerned. I'm concerned about my kids. I'm concerned on a Sunday that my son's not out of bed yet and ready for church, and he doesn't go to church with me. But I'm concerned that he goes to church at his church. I'm concerned that my daughter worships the Lord regularly. I'm concerned for them. I'm I'm interested in their well-being. And if you can say God is my father, you can say God loves you and has compassion on you. Number two, he's concerned for you. Number three, he cares for you. He's got provision. When you open a prayer with our father, here's what you're opening up with. God loves me. God's concerned about me. And God's promised to feed me. I've promised to feed my kids. I didn't go down and sign a pack at the courthouse. I'm going to feed Caitlin and Coleman for at least 18 years, bare minimum, signed Harold Melissa Smith this day. No, I just knew they needed clothes. And when school would start, we'd go get them another set because their ankles was always showing. Every week I went to the grocery store, quote, unquote, whether I needed to or not, because I always needed to. Them kids ate everything we brought home. Everything we put in the cabinets got ate. Why? I I knew I needed to care and provide for them. When you say our father, here's what you're saying. My God loves me. He's compassionate towards me. He's concerned about me. He has my well-being in mind. He cares for me. His provision provide for me. Number four, when you say our father, you're saying it's constant. Doesn't quit. Do you know that as long as I'm alive and as long as my children are alive and for eternity hereafter, I'll always be their father? 
If the world goes on for another thousand years and somebody goes and digs up the genealogy of either of my two children, it will say, Father Harold Smith. Nothing changes that. If God truly is your father, absolutely nothing changes that. You say, oh, brother, but, but he's God. He's not an earthly father. He's your eternal father. God is constant. He, he never changes. When you begin a prayer with our Father, and you mean that, and you can say it because it's true, you can say God loves me, cares for me, provides for me, and that will never end. With that kind of promise, why wouldn't you pray? With that kind of entry, you ought to be ashamed for not praying more. That's our parentage. I try to start every prayer with our Father, dear Heavenly Father, Father God. And that one word implies all that I've talked about and more. And the world can't pray it because he's not their father. Oh, they could repeat it. They could say it, but they can't claim it because he's not their father. Let's talk about, secondly, position. This is the pattern in which we pray. We're going to go through the whole prayer this way. We're going to talk about our daily food, our daily bread. We're going to talk about forgiveness, repentance. We're going to talk about forgiving debtors. It's our daily prayer. So we start off with our parentage. He's our father. Number two, position, which art in heaven. Heaven. <laughs> Where is heaven? Would you point to it? It's up. Heaven's above us. Now this is going to boggle your mind a little bit. I watched a Bugs Bunny cartoon, and he dug down in the ground and came out in China. Because that's on the other side of the world, isn't it? So would the Chinese then point down Bugs Bunny's rabbit hole and come out in America on our side of the world because heaven is above America? No, heaven is above everyone on the earth at the same time, and I'm not a flat earther. You say, Brother Harold, how in the world can that be? I just doesn't make any sense. You're trying to comprehend a God with, with human understanding. I'm going to give you three things about our God in heaven his position that will help you understand this. Number one, our God is omnipotent. Omnipotence is power. He has all power. There's nothing that God does not have power to stop or control. At the snap of his finger, he controls anything. At the sound of his voice, he controls anything. We look at what's going on in the world. We're trying to figure out how to, how to build things. We're trying to figure out how to, how to fix things. We're getting prices on a new church site. And it's going to take us a while, and somebody's going to have to build that. Our God simply said, let there be light, and the whole galaxy was lit up. Our God said, let the waters bring forth fish, and the seas were filled with life. He didn't have to work at it. He didn't have to go to his tool bag. He didn't have to lay out blueprints. Our God just simply has the power to say, and it happens. He's omnipotent. He's got all power. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. I remember probably 20 years ago hearing a preacher say this, and I never forgot it. He said, did it ever occur to you that nothing ever occurred to God? You know, it just occurred to me this morning. I've shot my new 7-millimeter magnum rifle three times. And I've killed three coyotes. I bought it to kill deer. And I've yet to kill a deer with it. That never occurred to God. Not only did God know that all the deer season I'm going to shoot it three times and kill three coyotes. He knew that before I ever owned a seven mag. He knew that before I was ever born. Because the limits of God's knowledge are limitless. He's omniscient. He knows all. The other O word 
omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's everywhere at all times, all together. You say, Brother Harold, I, I just can't fathom that. That's because you're a human being. You can only be one place at one time. Satan is a created being. He can only be one place at one time. God is not a created being. He's everywhere at all times. When the Bible says, Our Father who art in heaven, which art in heaven, it gives us this location of God as all-powerful because He's in heaven. All-knowing because heaven was created by Him everywhere because He's not bound by His own creation. Our God who art in heaven gives us a position that God has full view of the situation. When we pray, we ask God for his power, don't we? But our plans are limited by what we think. I've been praying about how we're going to fix and paint these flagpoles out here and put new. And I'm like, Lord, help me understand how we could pick those flagpoles up and lay them down without killing somebody or dropping them on the church. The ladies really want to get those flagpoles painted and get the, the pulleys replaced in them. And I've thought about it and prayed about it and thought about it. I'm thinking in human terms of power. We could show up here one Sunday morning and those flagpoles could all be laid down nice and neat beside each other waiting to be painted and restrung. Well, how could that happen? Our God has all power. When we're praying to a God in the heavens, his position is that he has full view of the situation and is well able to take care of it. He knows what's going on. He knows exactly what we need. He has all knowledge and he's well able to supply it. Our Father who art in heaven recognizes parentage and position, a God who's able to see and know and supply all that we need. This is all in the first of Jesus' prayer, and I'm not doing a very good job of covering it. But when we stop and think for just a moment that this wasn't words simply meant to be repeated when we get scared, but this was an outline for how we approach God and beseech Him for help, then we say, Our Father, which art in heaven, parentage, position, purity, number three, purity, hallowed be thy name. How many of you used the word hallowed in a sentence last week? No one? I didn't either. Hallowed. The word hallowed literally means to be set apart, consecrated, or holy. When we say hallowed be thy name, we're saying that this God that we call Father by our, our relationship through Christ, who's in heaven is hallowed, he's consecrated, he's set apart, he's holy. What we're doing is we're confessing the exclusivity of God. We're in Oklahoma, Native America. That's what used to be on the license plates. I don't know if it still is. Not anymore. It's still on the casino sign or in their commercials. Some Native Americans have a totem pole. Everybody knows what it is, right? You familiar with the totem pole? On the totem pole, there's different carvings. Some people would take God and stick him on their own spiritual totem pole. Oh, they, they wouldn't go out in the yard and carve it. That'd be stupid. But they'd trust in God and luck and karma and good vibes and all these other things. And they just simply take a God, maybe the one of the Bible, and they put him in their little thing. They may believe in Buddha. 
They may believe in Jainism. They may believe in reincarnation. They may be a Hindu. Uh, they may be an, an Islamic. They may be a Christian. And, and they just say, you know, there's all these ways to God and there's truth in all of them. Our God says no. Our God said there's no other God but me. Our God says there is no other prophet, sin of me, but Christ. And Jesus Christ himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. You cannot come to God through spiritualism. You cannot come to God through worshiping the earth, the sun, the moon, the stars. You can't come to God, th you can't come to God through your, your astrology. You can't open up the newspaper and figure out what your fortune is. If you're trusting in that junk and God, you can't say, hallowed be thy name. Because you've brought him down to the tarot card. You've brought him down to the psychic hotline. You, you, you remember that? You're all laughing. You remember the 1-900 psychic hotline? You say, boy, those were the days. Those, there were people among us calling that number regularly, paying big bucks to hear from somebody they don't even know. Tell them what was going to happen. Those people can't say, hallowed be thy name. Our God is not one of many gods. He's not a man that became God. The Mormons are wrong. The Jehovah's Witness are wrong. They believe God was an angel, a created being, became a, a God. They believe that they will become like him by, by their good works. But our God is different. Hallowed is his name. Let me see if I can do a little bit to help us out here. Our God is unique. There's nothing else like him. Our God's unique. He's the only one true living God. Our God is unlimited. The only limit that our God has is his own holiness, his own righteous character. He will not do anything that would, that would be a lie. He would not do anything untrue. He would not do anything unjust. Everything else is within the power of our God. Our God is unparalleled. There's no other God running beside our God. There is no plan B. There is no second chance. There isn't our God and some other God. And you need to back the right horse. Our God is unparalleled. There's no other track beside him. Our God is unmatched. There's no other God that comes close to him. I think about Elijah on top of Mount Carmel. And he tells the prophets of Baal to make an altar to their God. And, and see which God answers by fire. And 400 of those prophets stood there. And wept and prayed and lived on the altar. And took knives and cut their skin and bled on their altar. And their God never answered. Elijah poured water on top of his is sacrificed three times, dug a ditch around it holding water and prayed a prayer to his God who answered. Burned up not only the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the water all at once from above. Our God's unmatched. Our God's unequaled. There's no God even close to our God. There's no God even on the horizon. There's, there's no one for him to fight. Our God is unprecedented. There was no one before our God. There's no forerunner to God. He always was. There's, there's no, there's no pre-God. God didn't come from some other God that was before Him. Our God's unprecedented. Our God's undefeated. He's undefeated. Who has He lost to? Who has stood in the face of our God and lived to tell about it? He's undefeated. Our God is unchanging. Not only is He undefeated, but that ain't gonna change. Not only is he unlimited, but that ain't going to change. Not only is he unparalleled, but that ain't going to change. Not only is he unequaled, but that ain't going to change. He's unstoppable. There's no end. 
to our God. He's unending. There's no way that anything can interfere with our God's ability. When we say, hallowed be thy name, here's what we're saying. Everything that is true of you, is available to you, is at our request. Because we are able to pray and ask our God who all this is true of. And this is our Father. And you say, I can't imagine a God with everything you just described and all those uns. I know, I thought of some more uns, but they were kind of redundant. How could we put all those uns together and that be our God? That same God is compassion towards you. He's driven by love. That same God is concerned about you. He wants your betterment. That same God cares for you. He provides all of your needs. And that same God is constant, never goes away. If you're praying to that God and you're praying to Him because you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, all of this, His purity, His holiness, His set apart, all of this is true to you. Now listen, I got about five minutes. I got to wrap this thing up. You people have been eating heavy. It's Thanksgiving week. You're not going to be late for lunch. You're on a system. If Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way, how are we to live it? If Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way, is this something we should say and not do? If we bow our head and talk to God in this manner, is this just a little secret between us and God? Hallowed be thy name means this is a recognition of who God is. This is a call upon His character, His name. Does God's name have no bearing on His children? Did your parents ever say this? I said, but mom, everybody else is doing it. And my mother said, my kids aren't going to do it. Dad, but, but Bobby and Rick, they're going. My dad said, you're not. We're Smiths. We don't do that. We don't live that way. When we say, hallowed be thy name, and we call him our God, should it not be true of his children that this is also to some degree true of us? Not all this power that he possesses, but all of this bearing upon our life. Should we get a special haircut? Should we wear special clothes? Should we all get a special hat? So everybody knows whose children we are? Or should we be holy as he is holy? When we die and they lay us in the grave, is the preacher going to stand up and say, here lies Harold Smith, was a good old boy? Or would he say, here lies Harold Smith, he was a godly man as his father was godly, holy, and hallowed. I don't want to die as a good old boy. Dipping Copenhagen, driving a four-wheel drive, killing my, filling all my deer tags every year, that used to be impressive to me. No, Hallowed be his name and I'm his child. Hallowed be my name. Harold Smith was an honest man. That's how I want to live. This prayer requires us, friend, to believe the gospel. You can't pray this and not believe the gospel. You can't pray this prayer. You can't say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and not believe the gospel. Or you're just simply saying words. That's all you're doing. You're just saying words. Did you ever used to watch Judge Wapner? I'm not talking about all these modern court shows. I'm some, some of you may not get this be over your head. I'm talking to the old folks. In the beginning of Judge Wapner, they used to show the people swearing on the Bible. The old bailiff would be out there and they, 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 wouldn't, they wouldn't hear them, but you'd see them in Judge Wapner's court. You know, that, that, it, whatever that announcer's name was, I can't believe I can't remember it. But it would show them swearing on the Bible. They don't do that in Judge Judy. Names don't mean anything today. Your word don't mean anything today. I'll tell you why. There's more people today who, have, who are of their father, the devil, 
They're okay with lying. They're okay with cheating. They're okay with stealing because everyone's doing it. And they're just getting their fair share. Should the child of God live like the world? Or should the child of God live like their father? Churches today are filled with people who would pray this prayer but couldn't honestly pray it. If you pray it and you don't believe it and you don't practice it, you're the hypocrite. You ever been told the church is full of hypocrites? Did you ever contemplate that it was a hypocrite telling you that? Sure the church is full of hypocrites. The world's full of hypocrites. Your work's full of hypocrites. Your boss is a hypocrite. Your kids are hypocrites. We're all born hypocrites. But here's what I can tell you. Within a Bible preaching church, there are people who genuinely know God and they call Him their Father. And they know He's in heaven. And they know He sees them. And they're concerned about how they live. And they're concerned about how they act. And they say, hallowed be His name. And God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, help me to live holy as His child. Help me to be an example to the world around me. Help me, Lord, to show others how Christians should live. Because it's full of hypocrites. In here and out there. Do you know Jesus Christ? Have you prayed this prayer? Have you deemed yourself to be a hypocrite for not knowing him and praying it? Do you genuinely know him? Not know of him. Not know about him. Not know who he is. But know him as your savior. Do you believe on Jesus Christ? To believe on him as savior is this. To recognize that you're a sinner just like the rest of us. There's no perfect people on the earth. None of us are perfect. I'm the biggest sinner in the room. Somehow God let me in the pulpit. But I'm not standing here in my own righteousness. I'm standing here forgiven by the blood and work of Christ. And I'm not going to go to heaven because I'm trying to live a good life or tried to be a holy person. I'm going to go to heaven because Jesus Christ was perfect. And by faith, I'm believing that when I die, Jesus did all that I needed to enter heaven. Either Jesus paid it all or Jesus paid some. We sing Jesus paid it all because we believe he paid it all. And that's evidenced by repenting of our sins. And when we sin, we continue to repent. You don't repent one time, Christian. You just become a repenter. Every morning I get up and say, Lord, I, I tried yesterday, but I didn't. Forgive me for yesterday. Empower me for today. And because of Christ, continue to supply all my needs. Can you pray that prayer? I pray that you can. Because prayer begins with a relationship. And a relationship is with the Father through His Son.